Welcome to Thinking Outside the Box with Gavin Rubinstein. Conversations between Gavin and the people he believes have trailblazed by thinking outside the box in their field, industry, or even just in his office. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the co-star of Lux Listings here today. <laughs> I would say the main star of Lux Listings here today. We've got the co-main star of Lux Listings here today. <laughs> but I don't want to talk about TV today because people have heard that story too many times. I want to talk about your practice because I believe you are one of the leading, if not the leading buyer's agent in the whole of Australia. I definitely know you revolutionized the whole game in terms of what it means to be a buyer's agent. And you had a big part to play with creating that whole market. I want to delve into that. I want to talk about how real estate agents can do more deals with buyers agents in general. Of course, we love when it's cold handlers, but we want to blanket and help as many people as possible. A bit about your story, what makes you tick, and see if we can give some people some value. What do you say? Let's go. I'm excited. I've been looking forward to this one. Now, listen, I think you probably don't remember this. When we first met, do you do you remember when we our first interaction? You probably don't. It like was, it was yesterday. You do? Yeah. Okay. It was, a, it was a lot more- I was in a boardroom just like this. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And okay, so you do remember, so that was good. I don't know if you remember the details as much as I did. I thought it was bring your uh, son to work day when you worked in, <laughs> but uh, then it was you. I looked funny. I would have looked funny then. I looked real funny too. Be, Not funny, good, funny, bad, bad. It would have been funny. But, but just for the listeners, to give them a bit of context, I was trying to get my first job in real estate and I really wanted to be at a particular office at the time, which you were working at as a real estate agent not a buyer's agent. Yep. I would have been about 20, which means you would have been about 24, 25. Yep. And I had accepted another job elsewhere and was about to start with them. But this pair of agents who are at this particular agency wanted to really secure me. And I don't know if they planned it. Maybe you can tell me today, but we were mid-interview. You popped into the boardroom. They called you in and they said, hey, Simon, just come in here for a second. You walked in. You said, this is Gavin. Gavin, this is Simon. Simon, how much money have you made in the last 12 months? And you said something like $200,000, right? And I had just come back from London making 20 grand a year. You know, I had a series of jobs of promoting nightclubs, working McDonald's, whatever else I was doing up until that point. And I was like, what? You are how old? And you've made how much? And you have a smile on your face that big? Like, you must be loving this. And you're, you're ugly as shit. How, <laughs> how did you do this? What's I, going on? Man, that set the tone. I don't even know that we've <laughs> spoken about it at length, but that set the tone for me anyway, to not only be excited by the industry and the opportunity that it offers, but even more so to be at the right office, the right environment, because clearly you were doing great things. Where, how did you start? What did it look like? Give me the spiel. Look, I started at that same office. I was determined to work at that office. For me, you know, it was the leading office and it was very important for me to work at the best. At the time, yeah. And um, there were people there that I wanted to work alongside and learn from. Yeah. And I grew up in the North Shore. So, if you're not from Sydney, it's not the glitz and glam of the Eastern Suburbs. It's very family orientated. So, you grew up, you went to school in the North. Boy next door, rode my bike every day. Not an East boy. Not, no. Not a guy who grew up, who knew people in the East, who grew up studying the streets. You came from St. Ives to the East. Didn't know a single person. On the weekends, used to get my dad to drive me around Point Piper and Vaucluse because I just, I like, I wanted to imagine what happened behind the like big fences of the those houses, gates. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I'd always peer over and look in and be like, wow, you know, like I want that life. Um, but it wasn't my life. And I got this job working in this office in Double Bay and I knew no one and I knew nothing. 
But I had a a friend from school whose parents were moving from the north and they were moving to the east. Yep. And they wanted a house with a tennis court. Right. Lo and behold, I had my first client ever. Now, as a real estate agent, a buyer is not really what you want, but right. you know what? You take what you can it's get. It's what I had at the time. Yeah. So, I used to sit at my desk every single day and I would scour RP data because- I don't want to give away my age here, but Google Earth didn't exist back then. <laughs> I know I look 25. And You're I, banging on the door of 40, baby. I'm, I'm way past 40. <laughs> and if I'm banging on it, then you ain't far behind. <laughs> I used to scour RP data every day and look for every house between Darling Point and Vaucluse with a tennis court. And I could still tell you today every owner and what their last name is and what their phone number is, right, from memorizing and cold calling these people all day Every day. And for a year, I approached every single house. I built up this database of houses with tennis courts and all these people I knew. This is whilst you're being a real estate agent. Yeah. 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 So, tip for real estate agents here, just for a second, tune in. It's, it's Like, lock into what this dude it, is saying. Because I remember- it's rocket well, science. I remember witnessing and watching at the time, you had this very unique ability- it's almost like a gift to match a buyer with a property. That was your strength. And it's calling a spade a spade. It's not like you weren't good with vendors or pitching or listing. It was just your skill set and passion from a spectator's point of view, just gravitated towards matching buyers to properties. Here's the part of the story that I reckon is one of the best life lessons I've ever learned in my life. Right. I'm in the car with my boss at the time. Right. And we're driving down Coolong Road. It's one of the most exclusive streets in the eastern suburbs. Great street, yep. In Australia, I've bought half the street. <laughs> I love that street. I love the language you use when you say, I've bought. It's like, you've bought, but it sounds great. I know. I don't know any of the problems, <laughs> but hey. So, we're driving down the road and I said to my boss, can we pull over at number, whatever the number yep, is? Yep. I'm like, I want to go door knock it. I just think it's good for my client. I remember this. Right? Yeah, yeah. And this is a real moment in my life where I learned something so important. We're sitting there in the car. And to my right was my boss and to my left was the front door. And I, I, my boss looked at me and he said, let's just keep driving. Like, what are we wasting our time for, right? Almost to my right was failure and almost to my left was success. Because I'm like, you know what? I'm going to knock on the door and I'm just going to see what happens. Yeah. I opened the car door. I felt like that walk from the car to the front door was the longest walk <laughs> of my life. My heart was pumping. My hands were sweaty. I knocked on the door. And this sweet man opened the door, invited me in. We started well, talking. On, what, what did you say? Opens the door and you said what? I said, let's just call him Mr. Smith. I said, my name's Simon Cohen. No doubt, no doubt you get these knocks on the doors all the time, sure. right? I like that. But I've got a buyer who really wants a house with a tennis court. And I just want to know if you'd consider selling because I think this would work for them, yep. right? Yep. We went in, we started talking. He was a lovely guy. He knew at the time that the godfathers of real estate, Bill Maloof, yep. Ken Jacobs. Yeah. And you were known. You were what? I was 21, dude. <laughs> 21. I uh, was an unattractive 21-year-old with a lot of pimples. Long story short, I ended up listing his house. Right. The next day- Hold on. That just sounds too easy. So, you have it. I want to know what happens in between. So, you have the conversation. Yep. What did you do between having that conversation and knocking on that door between listing his house? What was what what what, what went on? There? I sat down and and just built a relationship with right. him. Rapport building. I didn't know 
in my head what you had to do to list a house. Yeah. So I wasn't doing the salesy things yeah. that everyone else was doing. Your genuine approach you had. I to was buy so it. young. Yeah. His kids called me the pea plater, right? <laughs> um, but I sat down and I built a rapport with him, and we, we created an element of trust, sure. right? Key. And that trust allowed me to list that house. Yeah. How long between knocking on the door and- Like a week. Yeah, right. So, there must have been an element of timing involved with that. There was something happening in his life where he wanted to sell the house. That's another lesson, right? You never know what's going on in people's lives. So, I list the house and a day after I list it, my friends from the North Shore call me almost crying saying they've bought a house from Bart Doff. And they're like- in peace to that legend. You're legend. But they're like- your year of work, we're so grateful for. We're really happy for everything you've done, but they ended up buying a house without a tennis court in an area they didn't want to live in, right? It was the most random thing ever. Right. I then get a phone call from a guy while I'm having my hair cut saying, I'm looking to buy a house. No one takes me seriously. You know, I've been referred to you by a friend of mine. Can you help me? And I meet this guy. I say, you know what? I got a house for you. Meet me at Coolong Road. He rocks up in a white Holden Commodore, right? And I start seeing why the normal people wouldn't take him seriously. Yep. I take him through the house. Yep. He walks back to his car. Yep. Gets out his checkbook. Yep. Gives me a check for a million dollars, which was 10% of $10 million. Which back then- Dude, that's like $50 million today. Yeah, equivalent of it, yeah. Writes me out a check for a million bucks. I'd never seen a check for a million bucks in my life before. I was the pea plater, man. Like I had (laughs) nothing. And he bought the house. And the first deal I ever did was for $10 million from a house I door knocked. And I learned a lot of lessons from that. What did you learn? The biggest lesson I learned is the worst thing that can ever happen is they say no- the best thing that can ever happen is you do a record-breaking deal at 21 that no one's ever done, right? Love. I learned that you can never judge a book by its cover, never. right? Yep. The most successful people are sometimes the most humble people and the peop- you should take every person seriously. Yep. I also learned that I should be a buyer's agent, not a seller's agent because I wasted a year with those people. But <laughs> I don't look at it as a waste because everything else I got from it was amazing. But but that was the beginning and that's what kicked me off. Yeah, like set your foundation. And I think such a good start because anything good or of note or of worthy has a very strong, solid foundation. You were a real estate agent for how many years then? Five and a half. Yeah, five and a half. We had some good interactions because I'd started, I was there prospecting, running around. Remember you sold that Maya house? Uh, yeah. Was we, that 12 million bucks? That was like, it was It was one of my biggest at the time. But, was it nine? But you always guided me through it. You're always money. You're always very helpful. And so you did five and a half years and then what? you went on like a sabbatical to LA. Tell me how Cohen Handler came about because at the time it started, there were buyers agents. It was like almost like a dormant industry. It was, it existed, but it was nowhere near what it is today. I can't even explain. It. I don't even know what the-, the There were right- two buyers agents and there, like one- there were, there were a handful of buyers agents and it was no one really knew what a buyers agent was. Call a spade a spade. So, how did that come about? So, at my time as a real estate agent, I serviced a lot of buyers and it became really frustrating for me because I could only really sell them the stuff that our office had. So, it would become super frustrating- that I'd keep doing all this work and not being able to get anything for it. But also I got frustrated because so much stuff sells off market. Yep. No 
seller's agent takes buyers seriously. And without buyers, there's no deal. Well, I don't know that not all seller's all right, agents well, take- At the time, yeah. no one took buyers seriously, right? Everyone was always chasing the listing and never calling buyers back, yeah. never taking buyers seriously. Yeah. And so I just saw this need for buyers to be represented in Australia, right? Yeah. And it was very difficult for me because at the time I was a very high performing agent at a young age. And so to give that up was very hard. But eventually after three times of quitting- I decided I'm going to go live in America. I'm going to study how buyer's agents work because 80% of people there use them. Yep. And I'm going to come back to Australia and I want to start this industry because I believe it needs to exist. And I want to start a business with a culture that if I were working somewhere, I would want to work, right? Yep. yep. And so, I came back in 2009 just as the GFC kicked off, <laughs> kicked off Cohen Handler. And I can tell you now it was one of the hardest times of my life, but one of the most rewarding times of my life because everyone, and I mean everyone, including my own dad, bar one person told me it was the dumbest thing I've ever done. That one person happens to be sitting in front of me today. It's you who said, you was know I what? the only person who said Only that? person. All of my family said, you're crazy. What are you doing? You're leaving a great job. Wow. What the hell's a buyer's agent? I didn't even know that. Why right? would you start this business? Right. Like- I thought it was a no-brainer because that was your skill set, right? People are scared of something new, right? Yeah. To me, I was excited about it. I remember when you first started in Double Bay. You remember that little office up the how, top? You had the two I of forget, you, the man. two of you, just sitting there, far out. It was what right it? on New South Road. He said carbon dioxide poisoning. <laughs> Tell me what you learned from that startup period and how you kind of broke through a really tough time with a new industry. What what was it? What what were the kind of principles you followed or you did every day or what was your, what made you? The biggest thing I learned was that the only way you're going to get business is by proving your value to people, right? Key. And so, I was so focused on proving why we deserved our fee yep. and why people should use us, yep. right? Yep. And I'm still focused on that. Yep. Um, I learned that you can never sell a secret and at, when we kicked off, we kicked off doing a lot of marketing stuff, stuff you know about, sure, right? Sure, But you've got to be seen to be heard and seen to be known, right? Yep, yep. And I think they're the two most important things I learned. You know, you have to work bloody hard if you want to be at the top. Yep. Otherwise, no one's going to know about you. No one's going to want to use you. And you're just going to fade away into the- ethos, you know? 100%. Question I have around, you, you've got marketing and then you've got referral business and they're somewhat tied together. Yep. And they're somewhat not. What's your best form of creating repeat business? Is it putting an ad in a paper? Is it social media? Is it proving your value to a client you work with who tells everyone about you? What is your- what, Creating referral business? Yeah. Yeah. It's proving my worth to a client. There's nothing more satisfying right. than a client- coming back to you or referring their friend. Yep. And there's nothing more satisfying than a client themselves coming back to you and using you multiple times over. And for me, that's what my business is built on. Yeah, right. So you're saying by doing a good job for somebody and say smashing their expectations out of the park with regard to their brief and you securing them something, that's far better than say any sort of marketing gimmick. I think it's a no brainer. It's yeah. the hottest lead you'll ever get. Yeah. It's a lead that comes with not your sales pitch, but someone who's used you sales pitch. That's yeah, my favorite too. Their trust. You know what? What greater compliment is it when you sell a house for someone and they come back to you for you to sell their favorite. next? It's, it's like, yeah. 
Yeah, because obviously you've done a good job of providing the value, but even more so, I, I, I agree with you. I think there is no better, more powerful tool than just doing a phenomenal job for somebody. It's the easiest business. You do a great job, you'll get all the business. Yeah. Top end of town, you, you know, you're the, you're the guy in that space, right? You're very, very prominent. A lot of other buyers agents do a lot of good work and not taking anything away from them, but what's been your secret or key to unlocking that because very few people get a seat at that table. I think from the beginning, that's the table I wanted to sit at. Yep. And I just decided that was the table I was booking. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, love. I love that. So, so even when you started 2021, you're talking about having this passion for these big homes behind gates, not, not too dissimilar to myself and not having it yourself, but wanting to understand it, wanting to get there and not wasting any time. Like all of your effort, energy was put into that part of the market. 100%. And you'll do other stuff on the way up for sure because you love to practice, but Absolutely. that's where the passion lies. But can I tell you something? The thing about those clients is if you do a good job for them- Oh, it's the best. They use you 10 times over and they tell everyone they know. Yeah. And so that's just how your business grows. Because the, the, you know you can't market most of those deals. You have to have your clients and your customers be your marketers in that in that instance. Hundred percent. Was any of this premeditated? Did you have any idea? Like what? When I started, I was like, "What the hell am I doing?" And just who would have thought today? You know, we'd be where we are when we started out. Premeditated. I wanted to be successful, the best and the biggest. But how that was going to happen, I had no idea. What's your team look like? Because you got Tammy that does a lot of my stuff with you. Team. Yeah, your personal. Team. So I've got Ashley, my EA. Yeah. Then I've got junior agents in my team. Yep. So it's Tammy, Tom, Marcus, and Bill, and yep. they all work on clients with me. So Ashley kind of runs my a, life. A little EBU of five yeah, people. Hundred percent. No one can do anything on their own greatly, and so I have amazing people. Yep. Who. We work amazingly together and we get a great outcome. And what's your favorite part of the, the job and your worst part of the job? My favorite part of the job is making that phone call and saying the deal's done. I mean, I love the negotiation. You know it because yeah. we go head to head <laughs> and it's the best, right? Like yeah. I just, yesterday, like it was three deals and that the- $45 million in transactions you bought yesterday just in one day. That's the phone calls to me was the electrifying bit. That energy, yeah. The bit I find frustrating is when clients don't see the value. Yep. Because um, it still, it's still I a know new it's industry. There. It's still a new industry, right? And sometimes the bit I don't like is there's a lot of people in this industry who feel they have to lie and be dishonest. When I look at my business at the end of the year, I would say more than 80% of my business is with four agents. They happen to be the top agents. Yep. And the reason they're the top and the reason we do so many deals is because we're just honest and direct with each other. Yep. And all the bullshit that comes with- You're talking about real estate agents or buyers? Real estate agents. agents. Yep. What's the sort of lie that will come like, uh, give, give me, give me obviously know, not names, but fake, what's- Fake offers, fake buyers. Right, right. Telling me a price and the owner's way off. So not knowing where their vendors are. You know, that stuff's just disappointing. Time wasters. If I deal with you or I deal with any of the other four or five agents that I do most of my business with, yeah. that never happens. Yeah. If they tell me a deal will get done, it gets done. Yeah. Well, I think the top performing agents understand how important managing their time is. Like whilst they're all different, they get the importance of time. So they're not going to waste you know, your time and, and theirs. Not saying that they'll get every deal. Talk to me about the losses. I mean, everybody who has gone through a journey experiences losses. 
Like when I say losses, I know it happens to you. I mean, it happens to me every single day, every single week. But I think losses make top performers better. What comes to mind when I say biggest lesson you've learned from a loss? What was it and what what did you learn? Look, I think losing team members and losing deals, whatever the loss is, if you had asked me this eight years ago, I would have been like very cut up about losses. Yeah, yeah. Today, you know, one thing I've learned in the past few years is it's part of the journey. Yeah. It's part of being a business owner. It's part of being a high performer. Yeah. And I think with losses come lessons and they just make you stronger and they make you more resilient and they make you care less. And so I would say I'm a much happier, more relaxed, water off a duck's back type of person today, yeah. having been through a lot of losses yeah. than I was 10 years ago where it would have cut me up a lot. And eaten you up. What's the key to dealing with them? Like what have you, what, what do you, when you, when you go through a big period when you lose, like we were talking a month ago, whatever it was, you lost, I don't know, 50, 60 million. Had a one, bad day that day, yeah, yeah. In one week you lost a, you lost a, a bunch of deals, but I mean, you know, yesterday 45 million in one day and, and many more wins than losses. What's the key to dealing with that? Because this emotional roller coaster that is, you call it real estate agents, you call it buyers agents, you could just call it sales in general. Yeah, sales. It's like a freaking insane up and down process all around, eat you up, spit you out. What's your process with dealing with that that period? You just nailed it. And I, I'll tell you what it is. I've come to terms with that is the game we're in. That is the industry that, that we're in. And if you can't deal with the lows that come with the highs, then this game isn't for you, right? Yep. You're going to have a horrible week like that week I had. Yep. But the next week, you're going to have a phenomenal week. And you just have to realize that what happened last week, if it was a shit week, it was just meant to be a shit week. That wasn't meant to be the week. We can't win every single day. Unfortunately. But <laughs> we can work hard every day to be the best, stay at the top, and have the best business we can. But none of us- not me and you, no one listening to this, no one can control what's going to happen, right? So if something's beyond our control and we lose it, we lose it. We have to pick up the pieces. And what I say to my team, because what I've taught myself is putting energy into worrying about what you've lost is the wrong place to put the energy. Putting that energy into moving on to the next Making project. Up for it. Yeah, One of my team said to me the other day, oh. Because it crushes people. Losing crushes people. And I find I find with these top guys, whoever I speak to, they've got this ability to go, I'm going to take an L, but it's not going to affect my win tomorrow or tonight. 100%. You know? I literally was speaking to one of my team the other day and they're like, oh, I've had three clients pull the pin for different reasons, unfortunately, you know, health reasons and stuff like that. And they were really down and they had all this energy and this like losses. And I said, let's go through your list of who you've got signed up. Boom, 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 boom. There's $150 million worth of clients signed up, right? I'm like, there's seven weeks until the year's going to end, right? Imagine if you put all your energy into those very motivated, very driven clients who want to buy in the next seven weeks how much money you'll make. You know what happened in the last week? They bought for four of them. Focus your energy on where you're going to get an outcome, not where you've lost something. It's a waste of bloody time. It's so interesting to hear because sometimes I have those conversations with well, people. Me and you are the people we bounce off. So we have those dark conversations. Right. But when some of these guys or when we have a conversation with, say, a salesperson who is in a bit of a slump and they're, we're trying to get them back up or I'm trying to build them back up, often they don't listen. 
So this guy obviously listened. Why do you think that people- it could have been a girl, but yeah. Guy or girl, 100%. But why do you think that people actually know the mechanics of what they need to do, generally speaking, but they don't do it? That's what I think is great in business because 90% of people don't do the easy things you have to do to be at the top. And that's why you have winners and that's why you have losers, but right? why? Why do you think? I'll tell you, number one, people are lazy. And the easy way out is to say, oh, I've lost. Let me be down about it, crawl up into a ball and, you know. Not work for six months. Be watch like, oh, Bridget that, Jones' yeah. diary and cry. You know what I mean? Do you watch Bridget Jones? I've watched it. That's a good movie. Um, <laughs> You're like that week out of bad week, man. Bridget Jones, I was all over it. I had ice cream. I was crying. So people are lazy, one, yep. I think people are laziness is the easy way out. And I think, two, people think they know better, right? And What do you mean by that? Human nature- they think they know best and what they're going to do is the right way to do it. But so they- what you're saying is ego. People have ego in our industry particularly, right? I did a deal the other day and someone said to me, oh, that was a lot of money for 24 hours work. I, <sighs> said, I said, do you know how long I've known that guy I bought for? I said, 10 years. I said, you know how long I've been working on building a relationship and a poor and trust with him so that he signed up with me and I bought him out? 10 years. So I'm like- don't make comments from things you see when you don't know what goes on in the background, right? We've been there. We've done it. We've seen it. We know what it takes. Honestly, I think the biggest thing is people are lazy. Yeah. And they're just not, because they know what they have to do, but they don't do it. And me and you both run businesses, so we see it with a lot of people. They just don't want to do it. Every single week in my sales meetings, I say the exact same thing. Yeah. Do you think most people go out and do it? We've both spoken at Eric. People get pillars of- Gold from that. Yeah. Do you think 99% of people action any of that? No, no. The, the, the implementation is on the low. But I think that's good. Yeah. For, for someone like you, for sure. But I want to talk to the masses and maybe light a fire so that they actually go to implement and do some of this stuff that you're mentioning. Well, the fire should be how easy it is. Yeah. You for do someone the right like thing by for, people. But for someone like you it is, but for obviously a lot of other people it's not. And what I want to try to understand is what is the difference between these guys who are consistently at the top, you see it in your office, I see it in my office and in the industry in general and everybody else because it's not just longevity. You talk about I've known this guy for 10 years which is a point, but it's also the volume and the experience you've gained within that time period. For example, you know, if two guys are, are running at a pace for the same period of time, so call it 10 years, but one guy does 650 deals, call it, and one guy does six deals, they've both been in it 10 years, but the guy who's done more deals, he's going to be able to add so much more value. So it's that combination of like experience, volume, and time almost, right? Look, we're missing a point here, and that is if you truly want to be the best at something, and you truly want to be successful, you have to know your field, we can call in this instance your market, better than anyone else. Product knowledge. The best doctors know how to operate better than anyone else, right? If you want to be the best real estate agent in the eastern suburbs, you need to know the eastern suburbs better than anyone else. If you want to be the best buyer's agent. And so I think a lot of people want to wear the suits and get the watch and drive the Audi and say, you know what, I'm a real estate agent, I do deals. But what a lot of people probably don't have, and the only way you're going to do it is by having, you call it that fire in their belly. I call it that passion. Unless this is your lifestyle and not your job and you live and you breathe it, then you're not going to be successful at it. It's got to be your world. Right? It has to be your world. It's got to be your universe. You've got to wake up, go to sleep and totally immerse yourself. And know every single thing about it. Because if you don't, why would I choose you over someone else? Competition is fierce. It is. Yeah. That's great. Why do I notice that 
a lot of buyers agents used to be real estate agents who kind of couldn't crack it, but then thrive as a buyer's agent. Why do I see that? What do you, what's that? What's that pattern? Explain that to me. I think for a lot of people, it's easier being a buyer's agent. Why? It's easier for them to sign people up. Because they don't have to list. They don't have to market. Correct. You know, as a real estate agent, you go up a lot, up against a lot of competition. Sure. And you've got to do a listing kit. You know, there's a far, there's a lot more buyers than there are sellers. Yeah, yeah, sure. But why do they almost? I don't, I don't know if I want to use the word flunk because we're not talking about school. But why do they kind of not do much as a real estate agent and then thrive as a buyer's agent? Just because it's harder. To, it's harder to be a real estate agent. There's that, a lot look, more that, top performers. That, no, that we know. I was saying that it's we know. Boy, that, you, almost you almost said it. You almost said it. It's harder to get business, right? There's a lot more top performers in real estate so in turn, it's because it's be. a it's been around a lot longer than there are in buyers agency. And people look at businesses like ours yep. and they think, oh, it's bloody easy. Let's just become a buyers agent. Yeah. What happened with your split in a partnership? Yep. You started the business with a guy. Yep. You're now split with him. What happened there? We started the business together and it was great. I mean, he was a hard worker. He had great ideas. We built Cohen Handler up to really become a business that was known. Um, He had no real estate experience, right? No. Right. Um, I sort of trained him on everything. He had passion. Can I ask? Yeah. So, uh, so you decided to go into partnership with him because obviously new industry, good to have support and he had passion or was there more than- He had passion and ideas and- right. Mate, like I said before, I was just flying by the night, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So, we launched Cohen Handler. It was really, really great for like five years. And as time went on, he'd want to do less and less and less yep. uh, and earn more and more and more. Yep. And stop doing the things you need to do to continue being at the top, right? Yeah, Let's yeah. just keep hiring junior people yeah. and run a Steve Jobs type organization. And it got to a point where it got very toxic and probably the darkest part of my life because here had been a business. I was working till 10, 11 at night and he'd knock off at four in the afternoon and that would be a long day, right? And- we were partners, so we we're both earning the same. This is a very frustrating period of my life. And like it got to a point where I just couldn't do it anymore, right? Like I'm not someone who who airs my dirty laundry. So I'm holding on to this for six or twelve months inside it's burning me up, right? I'm working my ass off. I'm trying to build this business. And the guy would rock up to work for two hours a day, do cartwheels and yoga and go home, right? And so I was coming to work every day as a boss, putting a smile on my face. So, none of my staff knew that anything was wrong. But inside was like, I think my world's going to fall apart because I'm going to lose everything I've worked so hard for. And then I just got to a point where I'm like, you know what? We got one of two choices. Either I keep Cohen Handler and he leaves and he can tell everyone what he wants, or I'll just go out and start another business and it'll all be fine. And the second I came to that realization that everything will be okay regardless, everything was okay. Yeah, because win is win, right? You can't keep a good man or woman down. It's more just I let go of what was going to be negative and just looked at what could be positive. It's always a lot worse than you think it's going to be. Yeah, and sometimes it's not always as good as you think either. Correct. Well, there's a lot of things like that. But <laughs> I see this- this almost tug of war between 
right? In partnerships, I'm talking in real estate businesses, whether it's buyers or, or buyers agents or real estate agents, where you've got a partner who sells actively and does the late nights, the early mornings, the mental warfare, all that sort of stuff. And then the guys who manage the business who don't do nearly as much as the guys who sell, sometimes nothing. Generally speaking, the guys who are running the business, very highly educated, understand certain things a salesperson doesn't. The salesperson understands a lot that, you know, the person who run the business, runs the business doesn't. You always see often, not always, but you often see problems with, with these sorts of people. 100%. Why do you think that is? And how do you resolve it? If you're a partnership- I'll tell you how you strike. resolve it. You do what I did and just do everything yourself, you'll be much happier. <laughs> no partners. I'm the buyer's agent, the CEO, <laughs> the business, I do it all. And I have amazing people, but- And I'm not going to say business partnerships are bad because like I have a business partnership with Jordan who runs my Queensland business and it's amazing. I have a business partnership with Taz who runs our commercial business and it's amazing. But Cohen Handler as a business, I've never been happier, more driven than since I've been on my own because I know all of that hard work is- No one's writing off of your- Correct. How do people do it? I mean, I didn't do it successfully, so I don't know. I think you really have to be in a business partnership where it's very equally balanced or it's not going to work. My brother and I are pretty smooth. Like we've got a pretty good arrangement. Amazing. But you're also different people. Family and very different. And family. Yeah, that's true. I think no one knows what it's like in the deal part of this unless you're doing the deal part of it. By that, I mean- Two weeks ago, you and I were doing a deal. We were both lying in separate beds with the light of our phone shining in our eyes to keep us awake at one in the morning waiting for a DocuSign, right? Like, it is hard. Yeah. And if your business partner's gone home at 5.30- I was so tired. Bro, I needed- I was like- I'd taken my melatonin too. I was dribbling. Remember that? I was like, if this DocuSign doesn't come through real soon, I don't know what's going to happen. But- you need that balance or it's not going to- Or you need family. Like my mum's our, our COO. If it wasn't Family's for her- Family's a, a, yeah. a big one, I think. But family can also go wrong. But I, I hear what you're saying. What you're saying is the sales side of it, unless you are really in that, you can't learn that stuff from a textbook. You just can't, right? You've either got it or you don't. And on that, if you don't have it, what can you do to get better at it? At sales? Yeah. I think you want to surround yourself by the people you want to be like. If you want to be the best real estate agent- Fucking get a job here. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Follow you around. That's what I did. The, it's what I did. It's what ev- actually a lot of people now and, that I think about it. And you want to know one of the best lessons I learned? What not to do too. How I don't want to be treated. Yeah, when I felt bad or someone handled something wrong, I was like- When I felt like I got screwed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So always pay attention. Always learn a lesson. Always kind of, you know, for good and for worse. If, if, if something doesn't make you feel good, make sure you don't make that, that same mistake. If something makes you feel great- Implement that. None of us are perfect. I do things to my team, I'm sure, that they feel like that about. But for me, I encourage them to tell me and we work it out. You know what I mean? I think no one's perfect. I try to be as perfect as I can. Sure, doesn't exist. I'm not going to be perfect, right? But I think if you want to be the best, the only way you're going to be the best is by surrounding yourself with the best and then trying to implement things your way because- you have to be unique in life. Otherwise, you're not going to stand out. Yeah. If you don't have your point of difference yeah. and if you can't articulate it to yourself in your head straight away, yeah. then you're nothing. No buyer's agent can be Simon Cohen. They can try to copy 
and imitate, but then they can take parts of what they like about Simon Cohen, but so long as they give it their own flair, this is what you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong. It is what I'm saying. Yeah, that you've got to be unique. They'll in still own. never have what's in here. Yeah. And that is that hunger and determination yeah. and that passion. Yeah. But they can say, you know what? Simon knows every sale in the eastern suburbs and he knows every vendor. So I'm going to learn every sale in every vendor, right? They can say, Gavin, wow. He uh, does the most amazing videos and I'm going to do the most amazing videos, but you're still going to look like Gavin. You need to come up with what's you because that's what's going to be natural. And most importantly, the biggest lesson in life, the way you're going to get the best business, it's what people are going to trust. And once people trust you, you don't need to sell. Someone said to me really early on, people will always give you business based on broad range of criteria, but a common denominator always is is trust. 100%. So I guess, you know, unlocking how you can build trust in great ways, great place to start if you're an agent. Wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask you this to finish it off. Three top tips for buying. Um, and I know you, you, know, you know, you charge big rates for this sort of stuff, but you're on a very important podcast. So you're going to give it out for free today. What are they? The humble Gavin Rubenstein. <laughs> three top tips for buying. Well, one, my biggest tip would be buy the ugly duckling, right? I think a house that presents terribly but has the right foundations is, to me, the most opportunistic. As a sales agent, you know 90% of people don't have vision. True. Therefore, one reason you stage most of your houses because you know that. I stage all of my that's houses. That's what gets all the high prices. I've got a full-time team working but on I want company. an unstaged, yeah. unpainted, you want ugly unrenovated- house disgusting house because I kinda, think- Kind of like you at 21. Yeah. And look at me now, a little paint and <laughs> re-carpet and good as new. So I think that's that's the number one tip. Right. Number the, two. The number two tip is, you know, you're going to go through a property and agent's going to give you a list of all the sales, right? Yeah. But they're going to give you the list of all the best sales. If you want to buy, you need to make sure you've gone out and you've researched all the sales yep. and why they've sold for that. You can take a building in Darling Point and one unit could have sold for two million. That was a three better. And another unit could have sold for eight million. And the agent could be saying, "Well, this sold for eight million, so you should pay six for mine." But what you might not realize is the one for eight million stared straight at the Harbour Bridge, and the one for two million stared onto Darling Point Road. Do you gotcha, know what I mean? Gotcha. So really understand what you're looking for and what it's worth yourself. Right? Isn't there a fine line though? Sometimes you can cause paralysis by analysis. Like you don't want to. You almost. You have to balance that, right? You don't want to just look at one deal, but you don't want to look at too much either. You don't know. You don't want to overcomplicate yourself, but you do want to make sure you're paying the right price. Like sure. for me, I think I see a lot of people fall for, they get emotional about something yep. and they'll just pay whatever, right? And I know that's what you want, but you're asking for my tips. Yeah, no, no, sure. You but want that, to make sure But that happens right to price. you sometimes too is not, a, a client will come to you sometimes and not always say, I want to get the best deal. They'll say, I want to secure this property. Help me secure it. Do what we got to do to do that, right? Uh, absolutely. Right. And I think my third is when you're looking to buy something, you want to buy something that's always going to be easily resellable or easily re-rentable, right? Right. By that, I mean, you know, you want to look Close for something- Close to a beach with a view. Like it's 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 a boutique block or a, or a house. It's got walkability to shops or transport. As you say, it's got a, a, a lifestyle reason that people are going to want to live there or going to want to rent there. And it's going to have reasons for capital growth, even if the market doesn't grow, if that makes sense. So always look for the most unique opportunity you can, because I think 
They're the ones that when you sell them, they've sold for double what they sold for two years ago. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for because sure. of that supply and demand thing. Key, man. Some some absolute golden takeaways there. You think that as the market gets more challenging, you're going to see more real estate agents turn into buyers agents? I mean, because list because because listings is tighter. I mean, I'm I'm talking about trying to drive some people maybe to Cohen Handler. You know, uh, they'd have to be real good to come to <laughs> Cohen Handler. You got Look, space I, over there or what? If they're good, we can always make space. What I'll say is, I think you're going to see a lot of buyers agents leave too, because I think last year and the year before, Ronald McDonald could put on a suit and you know throw a fishing <laughs> rod in an open home and sign up three people, right? <laughs> It is harder now. People are smarter. They're more savvy. They want to work with people who have the access. Knowledge. And the knowledge. And so I think in both of our industries, we're going to see people leave. But what the most exciting part of this is, that you use this term, the cream rises at the top. We're going to see the best people stay at the top. And for anyone who's starting out and listening to this podcast, I started in the GFC, which was the apparently the worst time to start a business, right? If you want to get into the industry, the lessons you'll learn, you will never get better lessons than starting in a tough market because you'll kill it in a strong market. Start in a strong market, you'll be a shit agent. That's what I think. And I absolutely love that. And I thank you for your time. Mr. Simon Cullen. It's always a pleasure, Gavin. Thank Thank you, you, sir. Thank you for listening to Thinking Outside the Box with Gavin Rubenstein. Subscribe now for future episodes. 